mentioned earlier, we are entering into a week that focuses on reveling in joy. And it's a huge aspect of the Christmas story. There's that sense of longing, that sense of anticipation, but there's also this sense of growing excitement and growing joy. And we're going to look at that through some scriptures this morning and reflection um, in our message this morning. And so as we prepare to light the um, fourth candle of Advent, I wanted to read from Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse number 2. Scripture says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms stained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. And then verse number six, for a child is born to us, a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end, and he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all, eterni- all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. The prayer we wanted to read today is from author Henry Nowen. It says, Lord Jesus, master of both the light and the darkness, send your Holy Spirit upon our preparations for Christmas. We who have so much to do seek quiet spaces to hear your voice each day. We who are anxious over many things look forward to your coming among us. We who are blessed in so many ways long for the complete joy of your kingdom. We whose hearts are heavy seek the joy of your presence. We are your people walking in darkness, yet seeking the light. And to you we say, come, Lord Jesus. As we talk about reveling in joy today, it's that reminder that no matter how difficult 2020 has been, no matter the challenges that we have faced this year, uh, even the potential grieving that many of us are in, the reality is, is that in the presence of God and because of Emmanuel come down, we can revel in joy, that we actually can have sorrow and joy existing at the same time because we have Emmanuel, God, with us. And so can we take a moment uh, right now before we get into God's word, um, just to send your heart, invite you to close your eyes and uh, kind of come to a place both in your mind and your spirit and your heart and remembering that the presence of God is with us here right now in this moment. And just we pray that, God, you would fill our hearts with your joy, God, a joy that goes well beyond a mindset, a joy that goes well beyond a sense of delight, goes well beyond even emotion, Father. But it's a joy that comes from deep within our soul, God, because we know that you are with us and that we belong to you. Father, I pray that you would bless this word today, O oh God. Lord, as we come upon Christmas Sunday, God, as we worship together through your word, 
God, I just pray that you would center our hearts, Lord, amongst the task list and the to-do list and the things that we need to take care of and all of our Christmas plans going into this next Christmas week. Father, we take a moment right now and we surrender our hearts and our time to you, Father. We surrender our attention, God. If there are distractions that are filling our minds right now, if there are our tasks that we're running through our minds right now, if there are situations that are, are frustrating us and running through our minds right now, Father, we pray that you would come and that you would center our focus upon you in this moment, that we would be present in this moment because you are here with us in this moment and we do not want to miss one thing that you are doing here right now. God, would you come? We pray. Amen and amen. Well, reveling in joy this season, probably more than any other Christmas season, perhaps, is kind of maybe a difficult concept for us. But as we have worked through the Christmas stories in Scripture and all the different characters, today we're focusing on Mary. You know, Mary's song uh, and Mary's worship that she gave in response of what God was calling her to. And so we're going to bring out some different highlights in that. Um, but one of the things that I've noticed going through all of these different accounts is that there was not just joy that was present, but there was a sense of awe and a sense of wonder. And what I began to realize and what I felt like God began to speak to me and show me was that joy, the, the deep, abiding, authentic, true joy that comes from the presence of Christ living amongst us and in us also comes from a deep sense of wonder and a deep sense of awe of who God is and what God came to accomplish and so that's my question to you as we just get into the word this morning. Something to be thinking about all throughout the message is do I hold the wonder of God in my life? Do I approach this Christmas season and, and thinking of approaching the stable the way that the shepherds probably approached it and the way that Mary and Joseph, the parents, approached it and the wise men came later and traveled afar, approaching that stable, that manger where Jesus lay, the baby, the Christ child, approaching it with an incredible sense of wonder. I can imagine there was actually a physiological response that was even happening within their bodies a trembling that was actually occurring deep within their spirit and deep within their, their physical bodies to think that they were beholding the Christ child, that they were beholding the Son of God, the God that came down and dwelt among us in the flesh right there. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, if we're going to truly experience the deep joy of Christ are we willing to allow ourselves to center so much on what God came to do for us and, and the magnitude, the magnificent aspect of who God is that we just fall in wonder, that we bow in wonder and in awe? I think sometimes because of the distractions of this world and the distractions of our mind and our emotions and our experiences that we lose our sense of wonder of God, that we lose our sense of awe our God, our creator God. And so that's where I invite you to set your hearts this morning as we talk about the joy, reveling in joy. To revel is to take great pleasure in. This like idea of pleasure rising up to the, the dictionary definition says to dance around, to celebrate, to be in jubilee is to revel. 
And that's what we see in Mary's song as she prayed was this kind of celebration, this great pleasure that was coming up from within her as she was attuning herself into the work of God in her life and in her world. And in that sense of reveling and that joy and that pleasure that she was taking hold of, there is a sense of awe and a sense of wonder that runs through her entire response. Even in Elizabeth's response to Mary as she talks about how her baby leaps within her. And so we're going to read that. Pastor Brad is going to read that as we, as we get into this sermon this moment. But I want you to kind of be thinking about that as that sense of wonder, that sense of awe that collides with just a great bubbling joy from within. So what we see in the scriptures, especially when you look at the gospel account in Luke chapter 2, is this moment where, or Luke chapter 1, this moment where God has spoken to Mary through an angel. She knows that she's expecting a child, and then she hears news of her, her relative Elizabeth also expecting a child, and so she goes to visit Elizabeth. And then we're going to pick up the, the scripture at this moment when Mary and Elizabeth come together. Elizabeth was a little bit further along in her pregnancy, and so she already had, um, what do they, they call it, the baby bump. She was probably showing a little bit, and um, she was getting closer to the delivery of who would be John the Baptist, and then Mary comes in to see her, and this is what the scriptures say. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 42. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. That's John the Baptist that she's talking about. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. And so there's this moment where Elizabeth is having this joyful response of Mary coming into her presence. And remember, her child, she wasn't going to have a child. She wasn't able to have children. And then God speaks to Zechariah and to Elizabeth and says, you're going to give birth to a child, but not only are you going to have a child, this is going to be one who will proclaim my son, the, the Messiah who's coming. And so this is like a, I mean, big moment for Elizabeth. And then she sees Mary who's pregnant with the son of God. And then out of this moment, this amazing kind of encounter that they're having, Mary responds, and her response is what's called the Magnificat. It's this, this song of praise, song of prayer that uh, Mary uh, declares, and she responds, this is verse 46, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy. He has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones. He has exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and he has sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful." For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his children forever. So what's amazing about this is there has been this, this span of time where, you know, Mary was spoken to by the angel, and she's been, you know, pondering these things in her heart. She's been thinking about it. She goes to see Elizabeth, and then Elizabeth's presence, as Elizabeth starts to revel in joy, it's like God's spirit comes on Mary again, and she's filled with joy once more, and she begins to, to sing this song of praise, this song of prayer, 
But the words that Mary's using here actually echo the ancient scriptures. There's, there's elements of the Psalms. There's elements of Isaiah that are coming into her song and are becoming part of what she's proclaiming. There's even this, this part of remembering Exodus 15 where, you know, Moses has led the Israelites out of captivity. They had been captive in Israel and Moses is able to lead them out and God brings them to the Jordan River. And if you're familiar with the story, you know what happens. God parts the water. Moses and the people of Israel, they cross across. And as, uh, as the Egyptian forces are coming up to try to pursue them, the waters crush in. God wipes out the enemy force. And the immediate thing that the people do is similar to what Mary does. It's this moment of pausing, of responding, of singing songs of praise. And so we see in this moment, it's like this bringing the past together into the moment that Mary is in, but then there's still this great expectancy, great joy that's singing and rejoicing for what God is doing. It's this place of, of remembering, just like for the Israelites, that they had been led through this miraculous moment. They had been set free, but guess what? They weren't in the promised land yet. They still had a long road ahead of them. Little did they know they were going to wander the desert for 40 years. But they had a long road ahead of them. The same thing for Mary. Whenever she's in this place of joyful rejoicing, she's very, very early in her pregnancy. She still had, you know, I don't, I don't, months to go before the baby would be born. There's a lot of road that she still had to walk ahead of her. It reminds me of the verses in um, Psalm 105. This is Psalm 105. is the, the Jewish people singing songs of praise for his past deliverance, where the scripture says in Psalm 105, verse 42, for God remembered his sacred promise to his servant Abraham. So he brought his people out of Egypt with joy, his chosen ones with rejoicing. And then jumping to verse 45, all this happened so they would follow his decrees and obey his instructions. And so there's this place where, you know, there's this rejoicing that they're doing, and it's God working among the people. And as God works, there's then this joyful response. And then as people begin to rejoice, God continues to work. And so it's this ongoing part that continues to unfold, that there is this call that we have to joyful rejoicing in the midst of what God is doing. Uh, our call to revel and joy this Advent Christmas season does feel like more of a challenge than it does an imitation. I don't know. That's how I have felt um, on an ongoing basis, you know, throughout the month of December is that it was it's just regularly being presented to me as a challenge <laughs> uh, rather than an imitation uh, because that we can can be thinking that was really good for Mary, um, but here we are in the present day, and we don't have the promise of Jesus coming and being with us tangibly right here where we can touch or feel or see him. But just like Mary, we can begin to sing the word of the Lord, and we can begin to remember the faithfulness of God, and we can begin to accept that challenge to be able to see God, maybe not physically with our eyes, but to see God with spiritual eyes and see what God is doing in this world and accept uh, and surrender to the work of God in this world. In Psalm 103, uh, verses 1 through 5, it says, Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let 
all that I am, praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. As the psalmist accounts the goodness of God, the psalmist is not accounting the goodness of God through the psalmist's finances or through his job or through his family relationships or through the car that he owns or the the gifts that he's able to give this Christmas or the family he's able to gather with or the ability to worship and service like we normally do. The psalmist is declaring the goodness of God through things that are intangible, things that cannot be touched, things that cannot be physically seen with the physical eye, but they are the spiritual work of God in this world, that he is the one that forgives and heals all of our diseases. See, that's where that that sense of awe and that sense of wonder comes in, and that's why it fills us with joy, because when we begin to recount the goodness of God and we begin to consider all the things that God has done for us, all the way leading to the cross where he died for us, then our heart is filled with not only joy, but our heart is filled with an awe and a wonder. Oh God, how could you consider me? That you were, the the psalmist says later in the psalm, that you are mindful of me. That you know me by name. That's why we want to do communion today, because we want to center our hearts so much on the wonder and the awe of what God has done for us. Not just God come down to be born as a child, but God come to die for our sins, for our freedom, for the healing of our bodies, our minds, and our souls. So to revel in joy, there's a couple points that we want to, uh, kind of key truths that we want to bring to light this morning from Scripture. And number one is to revel in joy, is to see the divine in every disruption. Because every disruption in our life, God has allowed, God has potentially orchestrated or God will take what has been caused by the evil or the fallenness of this world and will turn it for good. So we can see every disruption in our life and be filled with joy and see the divine working in the midst of it. But we have to choose to see. We have to accept that challenge. And that's what we see Mary doing in Mary's response to what was a great disruption in her life. Mary decided to receive this this disruption as divine. God present, God's purposes working, and then she was filled with joy. You see, joy-filled disruptions are always possible because God is always at work. Government mandates, restrictions on gatherings, illness, and yes, even loss that we've experienced this year is all part of the pain of living in a fallen world, and yet God remains at work always. God promised to bring good out of every evil, to work every good, every, uh, everything for good according to his way, his will, and his purpose. But see, the key is his purposes, not our own. And that's where we get messed up when we see the disruptions in our life and we dwell on the difficulty and the disappointments or just the the suddenness of something that has disrupted our plans and, and what we wanted to occur for our lives like Mary. She did not plan on becoming pregnant and having a child before she was ever even married. This changed her entire life. Her entire path of life took a different direction. 
But you see, God promises to bring good out of all of it, and God is working in all of it, and much of it God is, is orchestrating. Joseph, the son of Jacob, is recorded in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, as saying to his brothers, you know, most of you know that story. If you're not familiar with it, I encourage you to read the story of Joseph, Jacob's son. Joseph said, you meant evil against me with all that Joseph had experienced. You meant evil against me, but God used it for good. In Romans chapter 8, verses 28, it says, And we're promised this once again. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So we must not simply choose to be joyful in the disruptions. We have to choose to seek after God and see God working in the disruption. Obedience is always required when we seek after what God is doing in the disruptions of our lives. When we seek after God's purposes in those disruptions, God will always call us to surrender. And God will always call us to obedience to the work that God is doing, even if it contradicts the plans we had for our own life. It's in that obedience and surrender and disruption that we're filled with joy because it comes from deep within In John chapter 15, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and it's part of that story that Jesus is telling the disciples of your, uh, like, it's talking about the example of the vineyard. And he says, as the Father has loved me, what he's telling the disciples is, much like a vine, it needs to be rooted and needs to be attached and connected and be receiving uh, the source of, of water and nutrients and things like that, we must be attached to God and remain in God and remain in Christ. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my command, commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. True, deep, authentic, abiding joy is not possible separate from the heart of the Father. It's not possible without remaining attached and connected to the Father. Mary was uncertain and confused, but we talked about this a couple weeks ago. She was open-handed and she was curious. She asked, God, how can this be? God, how will you work in this situation? How will you bring your purposes about through me? God, how will you come to me in this? And in the same way in our own lives and all the disruptions that we may face, we need to be asking God the same question, seeking after the work of God. How will you bring your purposes about through me? God, how are you coming to me through this? The scripture states that she pondered these things in her heart. She considered them. She thought about them. She reflected on them. Her response was in the end in Luke chapter 1, I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you say. So in all of our pondering and all of our seeking after the Lord and and, and wanting to understand God's purposes and wanting to see the divine at work in the disruptions of our life, the joy eventually comes bubbling from within when we answer the Lord, I am your servant. May it be as you have said. In other words, I am God's. My life is God's. May he do his work, his will in me. Again, this disrupted her entire life. And so while she may find joy in being chosen, I mean, who, who wouldn't find some joy in being chosen to carry the Christ child? Even if you don't really understand what it all means and how it's all going to play out, you got to have like the sense of like anticipation and excitement of, oh, wow, this is, this is incredible. Why me? 
But what she was also choosing was to walk in a path of great surrender for her individual life. To walk in a path of great grief and loss as she would watch the son of God, her son, die on a cross. As she would, literally, as she's accepting him out of her body and receiving him out of her body, she is immediately releasing them to God, releasing him back. She found joy in the disruption of her entire world because she knew that the creator of the heavens and earth had the big picture in mind. He held the whole world in his hands and was writing the story of redemption that was much bigger than her individual life. Her one story was powerful, but it wasn't as big and as great as the big picture, the big story of redemption that God was writing. But she simply just wanted to be a part of it. So that's the question for us in reveling in the divine, uh, finding the divine in the disruptions of our life. Do we want to be a part of the grand story of redemption in this world? Even if it means disruptions in our life, even if it means disruptions in our plans, even if it means disruptions in our purposes, are we willing to surrender to what's happening to what, what is happening to our world right now, the restrictions that are being placed upon us because we realize we're not just surrendering to restrictions, we're actually surrendering to the work of God because God is continuing to allow it. And if God is continuing to allow it, God is at work and preparing some purpose, some good out of what is happening in our world right now. Can we trust that this path of surrender in the disruptions is part of the path of great abiding joy? That's part of the the challenge for us is to step into a place of not saying, well, that's just good for Mary, but I'm me. What do I do with this? Because I'm me, and that's Mary, and she's in the Bible. She's the the mother of God. How awesome for her, but realizing that, that God is the same. God has created each and every one of us. And so in those places of disruption, there are invitations into seeing God at work and see the faithfulness of God. You know, number two, one of the things we have to realize is to revel in joy is for us to worship while prayers still remain unanswered. You know, Scripture tells us in many different ways about praying continually, praying without ceasing, being in this attitude of regularly acknowledging our dependence on God. And in that, can we find places to revel in joy, even when it feels like our prayers, those those deepest longings in our heart are unanswered? James chapter 1 tells us, count it all joy in trials and persecution. Count it all joy. Somehow in the midst of the, the trial, the persecution, the pain, the suffering, count it a joy. Because again, like number one, it's an invitation to discover God in this disruption. In the same way, Jesus' words tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 12, when you're persecuted, rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. So it's not some sort of, you know, funny mind games we try to play with ourselves of, okay, well, I'm just going to keep a tally up in heaven for what's owed to me at the end of my life. But it's remembering that there's something more eternal about our experience that extends beyond just what we are walking through in this world, in this day, and the next, and the next, and realizing that God's purposes are eternal. And we have to remember in all of that, that God defines joy differently. God defines joy differently. It's not this like lighthearted happiness, but it's remembering that God's joy is a deep joy. It's a joy that comes from the spirit of God. It is a gift of God that is given to us. 
Paul challenges us in Romans chapter 12 to be transformed. He says, do not be conformed to this pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we have to remember that we don't belong to this world. We learn to actually release our grip on this world and hold more tightly on our grip to Jesus Christ, to him and him alone. And this, you know, this may not be about you know, bringing, you know, the a sense of, of understanding about everything that we walk through, but realizing that in the pain and the suffering, that's part of our life experience, God is there. And if God is there in it, then by the gift of God, we have the ability to experience joy. So when God is kind of redefining joy for us, we realize this isn't, you know, just some, some fleeting laughter, you know, where your sides hurt because you're laughing so hard and it's just a joyous moment, but it's realizing it's a deep abiding presence of God who is with us, something that is actually inseparable from the character and the nature of God. So scripture in James uh, chapter one actually goes on to say that you find joy, that you can actually find it and you count it all joy because of what these times of trial difficulty are producing in you. And what does the scripture say that it produces? It produces in you character. It produces hope. It, it produces an ability to have perseverance. And so when we count it joy, we're counting it joy because we realize that, again, it is the fruit of the spirit like Galatians talks about. It's, it's part of this overflow of the work of God in us. And so it's not it's not unexpected for us to be able to experience joy in difficult ways. And so when we think about this, of, of being able to revel in joy, even when our prayers go unanswered, it realizes that God's work is long. God's work is, is deeper than we can understand. And so we have this ability to hold tightly to God and God alone, and then to be able to release and surrender the other things of this life. You know, we're transformed by joy, <laughs> As we begin to experience it, it continues to transform us. It's not just a mindset whether I'm, I'm choosing joy, I'm trying to be more joyful, but it's realizing that when the roots of Christ are going down deep into the soil of our life, part of the fruit that it, it produces in us is an ability to have joy. A joy that probably to the world around us may seem confusing. A joy that even when people would look at our circumstances and say, how could you be joyful we can point back to not, well, you know, I'm trying to just maintain a good perspective or I'm trying my hardest, but it's actually being able to point to, you know what, I don't know completely how I'm able to have joy in this other than I know the sustainer of life, the creator of this world, and it's Christ Jesus working in me. And so I hold tightly to Christ Jesus. And that actually leads us into number three, the fact that to revel in joy is that we're joining with the ongoing work of God in the world. Like I said, the work of God is, is long, it's slow, it's eternal. Jesus actually said in Luke chapter 10, he said that um, the scriptures say that he rejoiced as he was declaring the work of God because he tells people around him, I, I'm going about my father's business. Like what I'm doing here is, is participating in my father's business, my father's work in this world, and it brings me great joy. Paul, in the same way, he committed his life to God. He was committed to serving God uh, long before he was willing to accept Christ Jesus as Messiah. He was being trained in the ways of God, and the work that God was doing in him, even pre-Christ, 
was teaching him the law, was teaching him the scriptures, was forming him into the person that he was becoming. And then, yes, in his own ways, he was unwilling to accept Christ Jesus at first and was actually persecuting those who were accepting of Christ Jesus and beginning to follow him. But then, as he encounters a deeper revelation of who God is, God didn't cancel out everything that came before, but actually was redeeming it. And then through that, gave us the ability to have the majority of the New Testament scriptures through what Paul had been formed or what had been formed in Paul by God. And so when we revel in joy, we're realizing that there's this long eternal work that God's doing in us. And sometimes we don't see the immediate results of it. I mean, Paul was one who would still at many times point to his circumstances and go, look, I've been imprisoned. I've experienced difficulty. I've been at the brink of death multiple times. I'm being persecuted now for my faith, but he continually reminds those who are reading his letters, but don't be so concerned for me because my joy is eternal. My joy is the one in whom I am suffering on behalf of. I'm suffering on your behalf so that you can know Christ Jesus, but I'm also suffering because I know Christ crucified and resurrected, and that lives in me. And so when we revel in joy, what we're doing is we're partnering with God's work in the world. We're in a a way of realizing that, God, your work is long and eternal, and I just want to be part of it. You know, Paul writes again in a way that helps us put put it into a context for us to understand. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I considered everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For those whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This was the joy that was being declared through Paul's life and that can be declared in our life, a a willful surrendering to the work of God and saying, look, the, the path of my life may not look like I expect it to look. It may not turn out the way that I want it to turn out. Even what I'm anticipating for tomorrow may not be what I actually am wanting to choose for the path of my life. And yet at the same time, I know God's working in me. And so I can hold to joy. That's what we see in Mary is it, like Pastor Kristen has said, this departure from probably what her life plan was. Her next five year life plan, life goals was not to have a baby in the way that she was experiencing it. Yet there was this surrender and in the surrender, it brings joy because she realizes, God, you're at work here and I get to be part of it. I mean, what an invitation for us to be able to be part of the work of God as it continues to unfold in the world. That uh, being a part of God's ongoing work is not just seeing God's ongoing work, not just seeing what the divine is doing uh, in our lives, but it's actually actively participating in it, actively engaging in it. Because we can stand as a spectator and as someone who's just watching and ha- who's just enjoying the show. You know, we can we can ca- we can just watch the the Christmas productions and we can come to the Christmas service or watch it online and just be a spectator that that says, "Well, I'm glad that I was." able to get that in uh, for my Christmas week to-do list. 
or we can actively engage and actively participate in the work that God is doing and realizing that for every single one of our individual lives, God has called us to surrender something, to surrender to his work, to do something, to actually actively engage. What is God calling you to do in his work right now, in our present day, in our present time, and in the world that is happening right now. Because the reality is, is that while God's doing a great big picture work, there is something that each of us individually are called to do. Each person, as we go through the Christmas accounts and we go through the story of Jesus' birth, there's different people that are playing a role all throughout that story, all throughout that narrative that God is creating. Different people, many different people. The angels had their role and the shepherds had theirs and the wise men theirs and Mary and Joseph and Zachariah and Elizabeth and the list goes on and on. But they all were participating in the big picture work, yes, but they each were being called to something individually. So what is God calling me? What is God calling you to be actively engaged in his work? So the final piece is we kind of transition into the, the end and the response time and begin to prepare our hearts for, for that time of communion is to revel in joy, is to hold determination to see God's will and God's way and then surrender to it. We have to hold a determination in our heart. Joy comes with a determination that no matter what may come, I am committed to God's will and God's way. Joy comes with perseverance. Paul said, count it all joy when you face trials and difficulties and persecution of many kinds because it develops in you hope and character and perseverance. We must have perseverance and endurance and a determination to stay committed to God's work, God's will, and God's way. And I get a little emotional about that and a little teared up because I realize how much even myself is so challenged in this season. As a pastor, in all transparency, is challenged in this season to say, I don't like this. I don't know what this is anymore. I don't even know what church is anymore. God, I don't want to do this. And then to realize that God calls me to surrender over and over again, to stay committed, to stay determined, to persevere no matter what I'm experiencing, no matter how hard it may be, no matter how difficult it may be, no matter how much I want to give up, that I've got to persevere and I've got to be determined from the depth of my soul to be committed to God's work and God's will even when we cannot see him working, even when we don't see the deliverance coming, even when we don't see the change we pray for, even when our prayers go unanswered, we remain determined. And joy comes when that character and that hope and that perseverance and that strength and endurance is developed within us. It begins to bubble up from within. I think that we have confused joy. I think our world has defined joy and we are letting the world continue to define joy. And so what we see is to count it all joy in our circumstances is to be smiling, is to feel that sense of happiness inside, is to want to laugh and want to engage in pleasurable things and things that delight us. But I'm not really sure that's actually the biblical definition of joy. 
I think the biblical definition of joy really looks more at what's happening deep within us and being able to see and and experience the transformation and the work of God deep within us as the fruit of the spirit of joy develops in us and there's a peace in our lives and there's a contentment in our lives and there's a satisfaction in God and there is an ongoing regular challenge to remain in awe and in wonder of what our God has done for us both individually and in this world. That is joy. So joy doesn't actually require me to have a smile on my face all the time. Joy, I may be grieving and pouring out my heart to the Lord and yet still be holding joy because as I'm grieving and as I'm pouring out my heart and the tears are streaming down my face and I even feel frustrated and angry inside, there is still this peace and contentment and a resolve and a determination to endure in the work of God. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. He said, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. What? Our hearts ache, but, our, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, yet we have everything. Fear and uncertainty in this life weakens our resolve. And it weakens our determination. That's really what it comes down to. It's not about, you know, most of the time it's not about rebellion. It's not about trying to push away God. It's not about even wanting to reject God. In the end, most of our, our inability to persevere and our inability to experience the joy of Christ and surrender to the work of God really doesn't come down to, uh, again, a rebellion. It comes down to a fear and an uncertainty because we just don't understand what God is doing and we are afraid. In our humanity, we wrestle with fear of what is to come, fear of what God's purposes will mean in our life, fear of what he will ask us to surrender to him, fear of what he will cause us to change in our lives, uncertainty of how things will work out. I remember during the throes of my mom's cancer battle, it was during this time, it was at the very towards the end of her life, she had only been battling for about a year and a half, and we had her come live with us because she couldn't take care of herself anymore. She came all the way from Oklahoma to New England in October of 2011, and as soon as she got here, literally like three or four days later, we had that massive snowstorm slash ice storm in 2011, and my my mom was like, you did what to me? <laughs> How dare you? She was a little spitfire. <laughs> she was not happy that we had brought her to cold New England. But she was with us. And we took care of her. And I remember going through the Christmas season that year as my mom's health began to rapidly decline. And my mom's health declined because there was tumors in her brain that were growing rapidly. And if you have ever seen or walked or heard about someone who walks with cancer in the brain, it is a terrible, horrible, ugly disease. And the decline of that is just horrendous. And that is what I saw and I experienced that entire Christmas of 2011. And I will not tell you some of the things that we experienced because I couldn't embarrass her that way. And I won't have you deal with that. But it was hard and it was dark and it was ugly. And I remember pleading with God for his healing. I was so scared in those prayers to allow myself to see what God was doing in that situation. I was so scared and so afraid of what God would ask me to surrender because I knew at the end of the day that as I prayed for her healing, he was going to ask me to surrender her completely in his hands and to trust him no matter what he cho chose. 
And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I remember the moment something clicked in my heart and I, my spirit. And God said, I am not healing her here on this earth. You need to shift your prayers to surrender. And it broke me. Because I was so afraid of what that meant and what that was, what was to come. I was so afraid of what path that would take for our family when we had already lost our dad. And we were a hot mess, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and more. I remember countless times in the ministry, countless times in our finances, countless times in our health, in our marriage, in our parenting, where God has asked us to participate in the work that he is doing and to just trust him and surrender. And I remember that fear that was within me to say, oh, God, if I surrender to this, I don't know what that's going to mean. The angel said to Zechariah, said to Mary, said to Joseph and the shepherds, do not fear. Be not afraid. What that tells me is that God's like, I'm going to go ahead and tell you because I know your heart is wrestling with fear and uncertainty. I know you're unsure about what I'm doing here. I know you're a little afraid about what I'm going to ask of you, what I'm going to tell you you need to change in your life to actually experience the joy that you so deeply desire. What I'm going to ask you to surrender to experience the peace that you so deeply desire. And I know you're afraid. Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Because God came down. Because the Christ child was born. This is good news. God's purpose and God's will always means good news, no matter what it asks us to surrender. No matter what it asks us to accept. God's will and God's purposes always means good news. Even when it includes loss even when it includes disappointment or it shifts our entire world. It's good news because God brings his good out of every single thing according to his purpose and according to his way. And I can testify, and I know many of you can testify that God has brought good out of so many situations in your life that you were so afraid of what God was doing so many times that you had to surrender, so many things you had to accept, so many things that you had to walk in obedience in, and you weren't sure how it was all going to work out. But when you said yes, and when you surrendered it, God brought you joy, and God brought you goodness, because that's what God does. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 18, it says the Bible says that God's love cast out all fear. It says perfect love dispels fear. So really in awe, if we're going to get to a place of joy, we've got to let God's love cast out our fear. Fear is such a hindrance to joy. Fear is a part of our life. Fear is a part of our humanity. So when we are afraid, it's not if we get afraid, it's when we are afraid. And we come to the Father and we allow the Father to pour out his love for us. And that's where that sense of awe and that sense of wonder comes in. Because when God begins to pour out his love for us, God reminds us to whom we belong. God reminds us, reminds us that we have been adopted as sons and daughters. God reminds us of what God has done for us. He gave his life so that none of us would perish, but we would have eternal life, that we have hope and life beyond this world. And then our heart begins to 
fill with joy because that sense of awe and that sense of wonder and that love that God's pouring out upon us begins to dispel the fear and begins to settle the fear and begins to bring peace. As Pastor Brad begins to pass out the communion elements, I want to invite you to, or Frank, thank you. I want to invite you to, if you're able, to close your eyes. We're ending our time with communion because we want to not just reflect and consider what God has done for us. We want to celebrate with joy the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That the life of Christ didn't end as a baby born in that stable. That the life of Christ didn't end as on a death on a cross, but it ended with resurrection and life. We can live as people remembering that God has overcome all through Jesus Christ and that we are able to live in great joy. So I encourage you and I challenge you this morning that if you are, are wrestling with that fear and that uncertainty, I am right here. I'm no problem raising my hand and admitting that of what's to come in the future in all different areas. But if you're wrestling with that fear and that uncertainty in your spirit and in your heart, I invite you this morning to consider what God has done for you. To consider the life that God gave for you, the death upon the cross, his life poured out, his love poured out for us. May we get to a place, and God, we need your help to do that. But may we get into a place where we can stand or kneel or bow in awe that you came down, that you came to die, and you came to live. May we be filled with awe and may we be filled with wonder as those shepherds were probably so long ago, trembling with fear, fear of what it all meant, fear of uncertainty, but also a holy fear. There's the fear of uncertainty, but then there's the fear of God, the holy fear of God, which is actually not a, a traditional fear, an anxious fear. It's a, a, a sacred holiness, a, 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 trying to define or trying to wrap our minds around the holiness of God and we tremble and we stand in awe. A holy fear is a holy wonder. Our considerations at Christmas time and, and the Advent season and the recognition of how God has come and the beautiful Christmas carols that we sing sometimes all that nostalgic feeling kind of underplays or undermines the holy awe and the holy fear that we should have as we draw near to God. God, in your greatness, you came down. And God, in your plan of redemption and salvation, you died. But because of your resurrection and your life, we now live. May you help us accept that invitation to belong with you, that invitation to be in relationship with, that, with you, that invitation to walk with you, to be your disciple. 
And Father, would you help us to surrender to the work that you are doing in this world and in our own lives, no matter what it may mean. And God, as we we find ourselves in this place, we will sense and feel your deep abiding joy. And may a song of praise rise up within us as it did Mary, as she accepted your work, not understanding it all, but she surrendered to you. God, as we prepare our hearts to receive the elements this morning, God, may we remember what it all means. The bread, the cup, your body and your blood poured out for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, it says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Before you receive the cup and the bread, can you take a moment And just reflect on that passage that I just read. We do this in remembrance of God. What is he calling you to surrender today? What is he saying to you this morning? Would you take a moment and respond before we receive this communion? give you a moment just to to pray and reflect and while you're doing that I want to sing Christmas song we're all familiar with oh come let us adore him just sing that chorus breath oh come let us adore oh come let us scripture one more time. You take the bread. 
Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Can we take the bread together? Father, as we receive this element, God, we recognize the the pain and the suffering that your body went through so that we could receive healing in our pain and our suffering. That by your stripes we are healed. That we have received freedom and grace upon grace, the Bible says. Redemption in your body that was broken for us. And God, we stand in awe and we stand in wonder and we stand in deep, deep heartfelt gratitude. the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it can we take the the drink together Father, we thank you for your blood that covers all of our sin and all of our iniquity. All of the ways that we feel like we can't measure up, all of the ways that we know we just don't have it all together. The places we may feel inadequate, the areas that we feel such deep insecurity, the self-rejection that we might battle or the deep sense of unworthiness that we sometimes hold. God, in these moments, we are reminded that it was because your body was broken and your blood was poured out, God, that we don't need to wrestle with that uncertainty, that those are lies of the enemy that would tell us that we are unworthy, that those are lies of the enemy that tell us that that we just can never measure up. God, yours is a free gift of salvation. Yours is a free, given, freely given invitation to belong, to be worthy, to have value, because we are created by you and we have been adopted. For those of us that may even struggle with our family relationships or feel like we don't have a family that we, even a physical earthly family that we truly belong to. God, may we be reminded that we belong to our heavenly family of God. May we be reminded that we have been adopted as sons and daughters, that we have received an inheritance with you, Father that we belong, we belong, I belong. That because of how great and how worthy and how awesome and how amazing you are, oh God, we have worthiness and we have value, even in our mess, even in our failures, even in our brokenness, we hold value and worth. God, may your people this morning sense that value and that worth as they stand in awe in your presence, in your worthiness, Father. Can we sing that for you alone, our worthy, one more time, just as a prayer of worship and adoration for our God.
worship you. God, we adore you. And God, we love you. And God, we are so thankful for you and for your life and the way that it brings us such great joy, such deep abiding joy. As at Christmas, Carol says, we can sing joy to the world. Christ has come. We love you, God. God, I just pray a special prayer of blessing over our community as they enter their Christmas week. God, I pray that their hearts would be filled with this abiding joy, the unquenchable joy of God, knowing that your presence is walking with them, among them, before them, behind them, that your presence is within them. God, I pray, Father, that they would find those quiet moments and quiet spaces to hear your voice and to be encouraged and to be loved on by you. And God, I pray that we would surrender all of our preparations and all of our desire for perfection and, and desire for things to go just right. We just surrender them to you right now. And God, know that everything is already just right because you came and you are with us. God, we love you. We surrender this all to you. Continue to work in our hearts as we go, we pray. Amen and amen.